Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello! Welcome back to another episode of the Delicious Legacy Podcast. My name is Thomas Dinas, and on each episode, I'm going to take you into a different ancient gastronomic adventure. Strap in while we're traveling back in time and enjoy our delicious adventures. Another archaeogastronomical adventure begins this week, and today we're talking about the history of pickles. And we're not going to just say pickled vegetables, of course, but all sorts of pickles. The ancients literally pickled everything. And um, yes, today's episode will be a lot of fun. So strap in and enjoy. The unmistakable pungent smell of vinegar pierces through my nostrils, even as I talk now. I'm not entirely sure if I will ever get used to it. I mean, to the smell, of course especially when uh, cooking with vinegar, as we do with pickles. I can hardly believe it will transform uh, everyday vegetables to something delicious, something more important than the sum of its parts. And certainly, that something will actually make me change my mind about vinegar. I mean, I like vinegar, don't get me wrong, I do like it. I use it in salads and marinades all the time, of course. But yeah... (laughs) Unlike my father, of course, who never liked vinegar in foods. Such a strange man sometimes. Well, all the times, actually. Anyway, I digress. Uh, Pickles uh, are, of course, popular and important. Perhaps a lot more important in the past, as this can be attested in the use of the word on everyday conversation and expressions through the ages. For many thousands of years, pickles were extremely important due to the fact that food could be made to last. From the summers of abundance, food could actually be preserved and let humans get by in the lean seasons. The glut of vegetables, fish and meat could be preserved 
and provide significant calorific content for the ancient families the world over. At the same time, preserving food meant that ancient people could transport it over vast distances when traveling or when exchanging goods with other peoples and nations. No one knows really who invented and how the first pickles discovered, of course. But some of the most ancient civilizations have invented in parallel pickling techniques in different ways, as we shall see. The Chinese pickled with salt, the Mesopotamians with vinegar. The techniques that they mastered over millennia are in use with us still today. In China, which is considered the birthplace of fermented salt pickles, a poem was written sometime in the 11th century BCE describing pickling gourds. The Koreans took salt-fermented Chinese cupboards and added chilies to create their own fiery kimchi. The Japanese embraced the methods from both and added more of their own techniques, and today they boast at least seven principal pickling techniques. In Iraq, a great variety of pickles known as tursi are prepared with vinegar. The vegetables are first soaked in brine, which crisps and firms them, and allows limited fermentation and then covered with cold vinegar that has been pre-boiled with herbs and spices. In the English vocabulary, the word pickle first appears around 1400, and is derived from the Dutch pekel. At first, it referred to a spicy sauce served with meat, but soon came to mean brine or vinegar, in which food was preserved. 17th century marked the high point of vinegar pickles in Britain. Experimentation and innovation fired by developments at home and abroad, alongside the expansion of the kitchen garden, gave an abundance of produce to preserve, while trade with India brought exotic pickles to the table. Of course, we cannot talk about pickles without talking about vinegar, without talking about alcohol, because obviously the ancients found out that by fermenting uh, grains and fermenting uh, uh, fruit juices, they could make alcohol, and then from alcohol, obviously, you could have vinegar. And from vinegar, you can preserve foods. The ancient Babylonians and the Egyptians, the world's first beer brewers, took note of the grain's natural ability to unravel starts into sugar and harness it to create the process of malting. Mulchers germinate grain by exposing it to moisture, then stop its life cycle short by roasting and drying the grain. From there, they mix the malt with hot water after which yeast can ferment the now unlocked sugars into alcohols. And voila, we have beer or mash for whiskey. Fermentation knows no borders. It's as much a part of a cooking tradition in Denmark as it's in Italy, Japan or China. Without fermentation, there is no kimchi, no sourdough bread, no parmigiano, no wine or beer, no pickles, no soy sauce. And... Fermentation is responsible for improving everything. Lacto-fermented pickles, where bacteria consume sugar and generate lactic acid, souring the vegetables in the process, and the brine in which they sit, simultaneously preserving them and rendering them more delicious. The word fermentation comes from the Latin word fervere, meaning to boil. The ancient Romans upon seeing vats of grape juice spontaneously bubble and transform into wine, described the process using the closest analogue they could think of. And while those bubbling vats of grapes had nothing to do with boiling, they were true ferments in the modern scientific sense, as yeast-produced enzymes transformed the sugars in the grapes 
into alcohol. From a taste perspective, the processes at work in fermentation that, that matter to us are those that break down large chains of molecules into their constituent parts. Starches in foods like rice, barley, peas and bread are actually long chains of linked molecules of glucose, a simple sugar. Proteins, which can be found in soybeans and meats, are in similar fashion lengthy, winding chains of amino acids. One of those amino acids, glutamic acid, registers on our taste receptors as umami, the elusive, crave-inducing quality that connects foods such as mushrooms, tomatoes, cheese, meat and soy sauce. So the fact that starch molecules are too big to be registered by our body as sweet or umami rich, when they break down to simple sugars and free amino acids through fermentation, then become obviously delicious. Our affection for the tastes those microbes produce have allowed them to evolve and stay in our company. We have been fermenting for so long that we might consider these microorganisms domesticated, just like our household cats and dogs. Sure, trickies understand when they're hungry and uh, they need a bit more work uh, to keep happy, but this is the job of the fermenter. In fact, some people, certain philosophers, might say that humans were domesticated by these bacteria, enzymes and fungi in order for them to thrive. There's definitely an element of codependence and cooperation here. These organisms occupy environments the world over, just like humans. They are present in the milk of mammals, meaning you and I have been involved in an intractable relationship with these bacteria since the first moments of our lives. Lactobacilli are present on the skins and leaves of just about any vegetable or fruit you would ever want to ferment. The first mention of koji in print can be found in the rites of Zhu, a Chinese governmental text from around 300 BCE, which referred to the mold as chu. Uh, spelled Q-U. Over the next few centuries, records indicate that Chu became a major commodity in China. Instructions for the brewing of grain-based wines and bean pastes appear in official Chinese texts some 300 years later and a steady proliferation of knowledge followed. By the 8th century CE, Koji had reached Japan. In Greek language, modern Greek that is, we use the word Tursi, which uh, comes from the Turkish word Tursu. And certainly I think uh, the Turks have taken the lead and dethroned the Greeks and the Romans and they're renowned for the love of pickles a lot more than many others. I believe the Turkish people are um, known all over Europe for the love of pickles. You don't have to go far. In every Middle Eastern and Turkish supermarket in UK, you can find a dizzying and dazzling array of uh, pickles on offer and all from Turkey. Now connecting to the previous episode about the history of olive oil, the humble olive is certainly the most famous of all pickles. Early Mediterranean civilizations discovered that olives which produce the magical liquid gold can also be used as food. They can be debittered by soaking them in repeated changes of water, a rather long process, sometimes taking many months and requiring the use also of a brine solution which actually even improved their taste by slightly fermenting them. Here is fermentation again, always playing its magical transformative role. I love it. Olives were found in the Cypric, dated back to 600 BCE, of a possible Etruscan origin. 
It seems all over the Mediterranean people were eating olives. The Etruscan civilization thrived in um, central North Italy um, and they were the closest uh, neighbors and rivals of, of Romans and um, Rome absorbed them into the sphere of influence um, around 300, 200 uh, BC. Of course, archaeologists also excavated uh, Pompeii and found olives there too, in the lava-buried stores of the ancient city. From Turkey to Spain, these little bitter bombs are cultivated and cured in a huge variety of ways and with a huge variety of ingredients. All olives are green at first, turning black as they ripen. In ancient Greece, special olive varieties were harvested green with the express purpose of pickling. Romans, of course, being, uh, as usual, a lot more impatient and of a practical nature um, compared to the philosophical Greeks, came up with a technique that improved the fermenting and also reduced the time needed considerably. Supplementing the brine with lye from wood ashes, which is sodium hydroxide, cut the time required uh, to produce uh, edible olives from months to mere hours. Dry or uh, Greek-style curing is a method in which plump black olives are layered in barrels with dry rock salt. No liquid is added. The salt breaks down the bitterness and leaches it out. The olives are stirred daily and a purplish liquid leached from them is drained from the bottom of the barrels. After four to six weeks, the olives are rinsed to remove the salt and glycoside and lightly coated in oil. They are wrinkled and purple in color. And um, while these qualities might seem a bit odd at first, uh, the flavor is excellent and the nutritional value is excellent too. Cato, the ancient um, Roman writer, in his Liber de Agricultura, notes that the varieties Orchite and Posea are excellent when preserved green in brine. He offers the recipe below for pickling in vinegar and oil, which is typical of many. How green olives are conserved. Before they turn black, are to be broken and put into water. The water is to be changed frequently. When they have soaked sufficiently, they are drained, put into vinegar and oil is added. Half a pound of salt to one peck of olives. Fennel and lentisk put up separately in vinegar. When you decide to mix them, use quickly. Pack in preserving jars. When you wish to use, take with dry hands. If you love pickles and crave the fermented little treasures, Malbian Greek has a plethora of preserved foods from all over the Hellenic countryside. Let's start with the Siglino pork from Mane, which is like no other pork you ever had. Preserved in extra virgin olive oil and smoked over sage wood, it's just amazing. You can eat it in omelettes or with fava puree and topped with caramelized onions. I've got a recipe on my Patreon for that. Or you can eat it simply on toast. Even you can have it on its own, like a meze with ouzo or chipuro. Then, tricalinos anchovies in olive oil. They are amazing too. Or, of course, the legendary barrel-aged feta from Costarellos. An amazing cheese, matured for six months in oak barrels in brine. Or the naturally fermented plum olives, an ancient variety from Mycenae. Or the classic pickled Sandorini caper leaves. Another little gastronomic secret of the Greek island life. Simply use them in salads 
all with tomato and tacos barley rusks. So much variety of wonderful produce to choose from. Or try Malbin Greek's homemade tarama, salted and cured codro with a unique beautiful taste like no other. Malbe and Greek, the one-stop shop for your Greek fix. Shop now online and get a 15% discount with the code DELICIOUS and get the exquisite goods delivered to your door. The second century physician Galen, that we have heard of in previous episodes, thought olives to be beneficial to health. In his treatise, De Alimentorum Facultatibus, on the properties of foodstuffs, he observed that those stored in salt brine and eaten with fish sauce before a meal purge the intestine, strengthen the stomachos, and stimulate the appetite. Olives pickled in vinegar were even better. A handbook of Greek humoral dietary theory, the Alimentis, concurred. The green ones that are conserved as colimbades are good to eat owing to their astringency. They arouse the appetite. Those covered in vinegar are especially suited as food. The procedure of pickling olives, described uh, above by Cato, other procedures from Columella and other writers, more than 2,000 years ago, is still practiced today, and which, to my mind, is incredible. Overall, ancient Romans uh, loved their pickles, and uh, Pliny listed uh, many different varieties of pickles and their provinces, uh, providing a remarkable catalogue of flavours. Onions, for example, were pickled in honey and vinegar, uh, a recipe of a kind still found in cookery books. One of its virtues was to stimulate thirst, so that Romans ate it throughout the meal. Later, the Franks adopted the same custom and are said to have eaten onions as avidly as they've drained the tankards of beer. Gherkins, first mentioned um, as late as 1549, the first written mention of Gherkins, actually, um, when it occurs in the work of uh, Robert Estienne, also cucumbers and gherkins, as obviously we know that a small variety of uh, rough-skinned cucumber, have been very popular in Europe in classical times. Gherkins picked before they ripen have been eaten in India for more than 30 centuries, with salt or lemon juice. We in Europe use vinegar instead. Few of us realize how exotic the gherkin once was. Gherkins came to Europe during the Renaissance. The English gherkin, like the related German gurke, for cucumber and gherkins alike, comes ultimately from the Greek word agurion. The ancient Mesopotamians had a taste for pickles. You remember, Mesopotamia is considered the cradle of civilization, and we have written records of uh, recipes and stuff uh, from about four or five thousand years ago. The ancient Mesopotamian people had a taste for pickles. Among the world's earliest recorded recipes, inscribed on clay tablets, uh, are several which call for siku, a sauce prepared from pickled fish or locusts. The Mesopotamians used this piquant brine to flavor the dishes. They made vinegar from barley or grapes, and they served a variety of pickles with their meals. In the ancient city of Mari, the Grand Royal Palace of Zimri Lim retained a pantry maid, whose special duties included making pickles and fruit conserves for the king's pleasure. It is likely she pickled the vegetables as cooks in the region do now, salting or soaking them in brine before immersing them in vinegar. Were we able to step back in time, we would find the maid in the royal pantry preparing turnips, snake melons, leeks, onions, radishes, palm hearts, 
capers and olives. At certain times of the year, reed cages rustling with migratory locusts or grasshoppers would be delivered to the palace to meet their demise. They were packed live into earthenware jars and drowned in brine. Freshly picked locusts were a tasty and popular snack. The above practice was taken up by the Persians, the next superpower in the region, an empire in the near and central Middle East, which came to their height at around 500 BCE. Through its various guises, from the Seleucid Empire, the Parthian Empire, the Sassanids and so on, it continued until the Arab conquest, when they picked the techniques for pickling, and much later the Ottomans too, and thanks to them, a long-lasting tradition of pickling with a familiar acidic kick was established in the Middle East, North Africa and Spain. In modern Iran and Iraq, the Persians and Arabs ruled supreme and established some of the richest and most influential learning centers of the medieval world. The city of Baghdad was the epicenter, the culinary capital of epic proportions, a shining light in the so-called Dark Ages which we know they were in dark ages, of course. The sophistication of the Persians' court's eating habits and cuisine, augmented with the Arab thriftiness, gave rise to something more complex and richer than its constituent parts, a culinary tradition in which the sour flavors of fermented foods in vinegar, lemon or grape juice were highly prized. Tastes that were amply sated by pickles. The Abbasid Caliphate in the 8th century, ate pickles and relishes along with sour and salty condiments or dips, known as kamak, that were an essential part of daily meals. They were eaten with bread as appetizers, or taken through the meal to pep up the appetite and aid digestion. The Abbasid prince Ibn al-Mutaz was moved enough to write a poem extolling their splendour. Of course, we are lucky enough to know how these uh, relishes and pickles were prepared. The recipes have come down through two remarkable cookbooks. Ibn Sayyar al-Warak's Book of Recipes records the dishes of kings and caliphs, lords and leaders from the 8th century to the 10th century. A later work of the same title, penned by the 13th century scribe known as al-Baghdati, unashamedly records for posterity his personal favourites. Here we discover a pickled shrimp relish prepared with apples and honey wine that doubles as an aphrodisiac, and a chutney called makra, prepared from chopped turnip, quince, lemon in apple and citron, soured with a starter of bread dough to encourage fermentation, a technique still used today in northern Iraq to pickle turnips. We also learn how to pickle capers, olives and locusts. Pickled locusts uh, were a favourite of the ancient Mesopotamians, as we've seen earlier. Uh, That recipe for them, which appears thousands of years later in the medieval manuscripts from Baghdad, should be surprising, I guess, but it's not. There's a remarkable similarity between the recipes inscribed on three cuneiform tablets from Mesopotamia written around 1700 BCE and those on Al-Warak's cookbook, almost uh, 3,000 years later. If, as it seems, the food customs of the Mesopotamians, including the combination of ingredients and spices and the liking of vinegar, were acquired by the Persians, then the Persians in turn contributed with their tastes and innovations 
which in turn embraced and elaborated upon by the Arabs. But this culinary time and space travel past the parcel game did not stop there. The lineage of many pickles enjoyed across North Africa and the Middle East and Spain, as well as Latin America, can be traced back to these early recipes. A history of pickles is the history of the world. Pickles is a relish, a condiment, a preservation technique to store food prefrigs for millennia. A gift from the gods, surely. One can pickle fish, pickle meat, such as birds and pork especially, pickle cheese, which the most famous pickle cheese, of course, is feta, surely. Going back to our f- lovely um, to our lovely scribe and uh, foodie, al-Baghdadi, who devotes a whole chapter to pickles, relishes and condiments, he says vinegar pickles were made in great variety, using a profusion of fresh produce supplied from Baghdad's uh, fertile hinterland. He prepared sweet pickle turnips from chopped pieces of the root, salted, spiced and herbed, and immersed in vinegar, sweetened with honey and colored with saffron. For mint pickle, he takes dried leaves and sprinkles them with aromatic herbs, bottling them with celery leaves and quarters of peeled garlic in good vinegar, golden with saffron. He also offers the following recipe for aubergine pickle, which we can still find prepared this way across the Middle East today, 800 years later. Take medium aubergines and cut off half the stems and leaves, then half boil them in water and salt. Take them up and dry them off. Then quarter them lengthwise and stuff them with fresh celery leaves, a few bunches of mint and peeled cloves of garlic. And pack them one on another in a glass jug. Sprinkle a little of the herbs and finely ground mixed spices on them. Cover them with good vinegar and leave them until they're thoroughly mature and use them. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Fish, meat and poultry were regularly pickled in vinegar for keeping. A particular dish, sikbaj, best described as meat set in vinegar aspic, is of great significance to our pickle story. Sikbaj was a favorite dish of both the Sasanian Persian court and the Arabs. Its name is derived from sik, the Persian for vinegar, and baj meaning stew. It was prepared by cooking pieces of fatty meat in water with herbs, spices, and assorted vegetables, to which wine vinegar and honey, or date molasses, was added, each to balance the other. The stew was finished with almonds, saffron, and dried fruits, and once it had cooled, it was sprinkled with rose water. This dish was to inspire pickled foods of a different form in Spain, Portugal and Latin America. The dishes and relishes of the medieval cookbooks of Baghdad continue to resonate in the variety of pickles. Torsi, derived from the torse, meaning sour in Persian, and from which the Turks get the tursu and the Greek tursi, which are enjoyed across North Africa and the Middle East. The Arabs swept into the Iberian Peninsula from the early 8th century CE and ushered an era of unprecedented cultural, artistic, scientific and gastronomic growth that introduced to the backward locals to exotic ingredients and brand new exciting culinary customs. Dishes brought to Moorish Spain from the Eastern Islamic world, among them pickles and condiments and the esteemed sikbaj mentioned earlier. Today's Perenjenas de Almagro from La Mancha is a direct legacy of the Arabs and this is a dish of pickled aubergines prepared in Ciudad Real region of central Spain. This Almagro variety is unique to the area and are pickled when they're still small and green. Dishes prepared as cabbage style, soused in vinegar, are common across Spain and Portugal and they are another pickling legacy from the Arabs. Etymologically, the name is thought to be derived from the royal court dish we mentioned earlier, sikbaj. But uh, don't quote me on that. <laughs> That's what I've read. The common Arab practice of cooking and pickling fish, uh, or any variety of fish, fowl and meat, spread to the Iberian Peninsula, proving very popular for preserving game, particularly partridge, quail, pigeon, rabbit, oily fish such as sardines, mackerel, shad and tuna, and in Portugal, small eels. In an early 14th century Catalan treatise, the Libre de Sente Sovi includes a recipe for scabeig, escabeig or escuabe, all comprising fried fish over which is poured a hot vinegar sauce thickened in various ways. Other medieval cookery manuscripts show this pickling technique traveled to France and Italy and the scabeche and scapeche both refer to fried fish in a vinegar-based marinade, which is served cold, typically as an appetizer. Once in the pickling liquor and refrigerated, the fish will keep for a few weeks. The infamous uh, conquistadores took the pickling technique of escabeche uh, to Central and South America in the 16th century. The method was not only used for game and fish, as in Spain, 
but it was adopted and adapted to pickle vegetables using vinegar fermented from sugarcane. In South America, the meat of capybara, reputed to be the world's largest rodent, is prepared escabeche. A more conventional fish escabeche originates from the thriving colonial port of Veracruz in the second Spanish settlement in Latin America. And Latin American created its own fresh pickled fish dish, ceviche, which has been exported the world over. The dish, as you may know, is a specialty of Peru, from where it's believed to originate. Ceviche is prepared from raw fillets of fish, octopus, squid or shrimps, or prawns, marinated in lemon, lime or bitter orange juice. The acidity of the citrus juices modifies the proteins of the fish, acting in a similar way to heat. Together with the acidic element, sliced onions, chilies and salt, they're combined and is served at room temperature. In Philippines, another Spanish colonial venture, on the other side of the Pacific Ocean, a fresh fish pickle dish, known as quinilao, using vinegar rather than citrus juice, has been prepared in the archipelago for at least 1,000 years. Whatever the origins of ceviche, definitely owns a lot to the Iberian trade routes between the ports of the New World and the Far East Asiatic Islands. I would like to thank Richard Bignell and his studio Area 18 for the voiceover recording. And the studio is in North Acton, North Acton area. If you ever need to record anything, guys, Richard Bignell is your man. Thank you once again for listening to the Delicious Legacy podcast. For the last few months, we've been working hard behind the scenes in order to create some food-related videos for your hungry and ravenous eyes. I'm pleased to say some progress has been made on that front. Keep your eyes and ears open. I love to hear your thoughts and responses, so please head over on Twitter and tell me what you think. You can follow the podcast at The Delicious Legacy, all one word. Or join me on Patreon, where you can put The Delicious Legacy again, one word. And that's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash The Delicious Legacy or Google Patreon and The Delicious Legacy podcast. This podcast can only keep going with the generous support of our subscribers on Patreon. You guys keep me running, you help me cover my costs and allow me to dedicate more time researching each episode. I want to thank all of my subscribers for helping so far to create this series. If you enjoyed this episode please consider going to Patreon and type the Delicious Legacy podcast and contribute something and keep this podcast running. Thanks for listening. All the best. Over and out. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.